Section 15. Was that emptiness? Welcome to the world of models, states, stages, and visions of goals to attain. The curse and blessing of knowing all of this terminology and theory is that there is a natural tendency to begin to try to apply it to our own experiences and those of others and wonder what was what. Beyond that, not only have I just provided enough information for a few of you to become master posers on the spiritual path, I have just given some of you enough information to start obsessing way too much about where you are on the path. However, this is a trivial danger, and why senior Dharma teachers do not ever seem to put the important details about sorting out what is what into their books is completely beyond me. That it should be left to a young and cocky upstart like myself to fill in this gap is less than ideal. Note, when I use the word emptiness in the title of this chapter, I am using it specifically to refer to a fruition, and in this case generally to mean stream entry, and not any other meaning. Emptiness has many other meanings, but this is the specific one I care about at this moment. There are all sorts of pitfalls that can occur, but perhaps the most significant of them all is calling experiences emptiness, fruition, stream entry, or nirvana that simply weren't. It is a mistake that we are all likely to make more than once if we practice fairly well, know these models and care about them in the least, and even very enlightened beings with years of practice will sometimes wonder, was that emptiness? Meaning, was that my hit? Or, was that the next stage of awakening? Some of us will be particularly prone to blowing this on a regular basis, even if we are actually somewhat enlightened. Take heart. Failure can be a great teacher. The first and perhaps most important point is that from a certain point of view, it is not an important question. If you have actually gotten enlightened to some degree or attained a fruition, the permanent benefits of that have occurred regardless of whether or not you are certain about it. On the other hand, if you haven't gotten enlightened but think that you have, it is worth being able to come back to reality. The range of clarity with which the three doors to fruition present themselves can be quite wide. Sometimes, even if it was actually the attainment of fruition, there may not have been enough clarity at the time for one's memory of the way that particular door presented and of the depth of the discontinuity to be clear enough to satisfactorily answer the question. There are also a large number of possible momentary unknowing experiences that can present in ways that seem convincingly like the attainment of fruition, even for meditators with years of experience with these issues. I will mention some of the most common events that can be mistaken for fruition here, though this is far from being a complete list. Momentary experiences of the formless realms that arise in Insight Stage 11, equanimity, particularly nothingness, and neither perception nor yet non-perception, are common culprits. However, if one is this close, the real thing is very likely to occur sooner or later. Formless experiences arising from pure concentration practices have fooled people for millennia into thinking they were fruitions. As mentioned earlier, Insight Stage 4, the arising and passing away, particularly the arising and passing away event itself, is a pernicious trickster and has fooled countless practitioners throughout the ages into thinking it was fruition or the attainment of a path. 
This may even fool somewhat enlightened beings who are working on the next path. Note, the A and P event typically shows up once per path unless a long period of time goes by without practice after it, whereas fruition is likely to be repeated naturally. Unusually heavy experiences of insight, stage 5, dissolution, can be formless and murky enough to fool some meditators on occasion, as can any really dramatic shift between any of the Vipassana or Samitha Johannes, as these involve three or four impulsions or mind moments, followed by a momentary unknowing experience. Even the first shift into insight stage one, mind and body, can fool some novices if it happens dramatically enough, and they get fascinated with how unitive, pleasant, and clear the stage can be after the first shift into it. Often, it is not possible to make a clear call about what was what, even if it was actually fruition. While what follows is routinely considered to be dangerous information, I am happy to go to the far extreme of telling largely taboo secrets if it helps to balance the pervasive mushroom culture. These are some basic guidelines that may be used when trying to answer the question, was that emptiness? If there was any sense of an experience, even of nothingness or something that seemed incomprehensible, particularly anything involving the vaguest hint of the passage of time during it, write it off as something other than emptiness. This is an absolute rule. Similarly, if there was any sense of a this observing a that, or a self of any sort that was actually present for whatever happened, write it off as something other than emptiness. If you were there, that wasn't it. If there was not a complete sense of discontinuity, and if it makes any sense to think of time, space, perspective, or memory continuing across the gap, write it off immediately as something other than emptiness. On the other hand, if the only way to remember what happened involves remembering just forward to the end of the particular door that presented, and then remembering back to when reality reappeared, well, keep reading. If on continued repetition of the unknowing event over days or weeks, it fails the above tests, write it off as something other than emptiness. If continued repetition of that particular kind of unknowing event over days or weeks fails to give any clear experiences of the three doors or to reveal something very paradoxical and profound about the nature of subject and object, be skeptical. If there was a double dip into unknowing events with a few profound moments of clarity and altered experience between them, as is characteristic of the A&P event, with one shift happening halfway down the outbreath and a second shift at the end of that outbreath, write it off immediately as more likely having been that or maybe the early stages of equanimity. If the event cannot be repeated, write it off. Those who have attained a path will attain more fruitions naturally, maybe one too many per day, as they basically can't help but cycle. If there is not a rather predictable pattern of stages and perspective shifts that begins to become clear, specifically following the course of the progress of insight listed above in some way, particularly as regards shifts in perceptual thresholds, write it off as something other than emptiness. This brings me to the cardinal rule when trying to sort out what all experience or attainments actually were. Try to repeat it again and again and be honest with yourself. 
It literally took me thousands of times through these cycles and experiences at many levels and over many years to get to the point where I could even begin to think about writing a book like this one. I am still quite cautious about hanging my hat on interpretations of my experiences, or what seem to be non-experiences, until I have attained them fifty, a hundred, or even more times. If you don't have the necessary level of clarity and mastery to repeat the experience of interest again and again, either do enough clear and diligent practice to attain the required mastery, or don't ask the question. Studying theory can only be so useful for this. In the end, and always, it is practice and continued direct experience that reveals and clarifies. While it is somewhat true that with clarity comes mystery, this maxim can easily be used as a cop-out. A related question is, am I enlightened? I have met a number of people recently who have exhibited a common but unhealthy fascination with this question, toying with the possibility that they were enlightened in past lives, whatever were enlightened in earlier life and repressed it, not, were enlightened by interesting experiences that were bound up in time and space, whoops, such as A and P events, formless realm experiences, visions of beings, unusual raptures, etc. For these sorts of people, as well as those working on higher paths who are stuck in the in-between stages, I offer the following. The first thing one must know about enlightened beings is that fruition occurs for them, and they do so naturally and fairly often. True, there may be sometimes an initial period after first attaining a path when they might not happen so often, the range being from once every day to once every week or so at the very longest. However, fruitions are largely unavoidable. It would take a lot of consistent work to keep them from happening, and if one lets one's guard down, they would show up again quickly enough. In fact, the longer one goes without a fruition, the more the pull towards that which is not any of this intensifies. Even those who are working on the next path will typically have reoccurring fruitions from the current path sneak in, even if they don't want them to. This is one way to distinguish A&P events from fruitions, as A&P events quickly diminish in intensity, fade quickly as the focus of one's practice, and fail to provide the consistent sense of release, ease, and sense of well-being that attaining a fruition does. Before enlightenment, the meditator always had to develop access concentration, attaining mind and body, and working from there every time they meditated, unless practicing very strongly, often, and well, when one may be able to keep up enough momentum to avoid falling back to the beginning. After attaining the path, one begins at the level of the arising and passing away, and proceeds with much more skill and confidence. Simply reflecting on reality, even slightly, will result in a nearly instantaneous shift to a mind and body-like state. At a whim, one can begin meditating at the level of the A and P, beginning with the double-dip state shift at the middle and then end of the out-breath that is the hallmark of that stage. Thus enlightened beings can perceive vibrating phenomena at a whim. In that same vein, the cycles of insight from stages 4 to 11 and then 15 always influence the conscious life of those who are enlightened. They are inescapable. They cycle endlessly in one's waking hours and even when dreaming. They subtly or overtly color one's mood, energy level, and perception of the world. 
as soon as a fruition is attained, the cycle starts again and proceeds, though the timing and obviousness of this fact may be somewhat variable depending on how much one is practicing, what is going on in one's life, and how good one is at noticing the qualities of these stages. Even when doing concentration practices, these cycles are in the background somewhere. It is possible to ignore them to a large degree for a while, when in deep Samitha Johannes, though it takes work to do so. I remember lying down to take a nap after lunch when on retreat in India a few days after my first fruition. Before I knew it, meditation was occurring. The cycles were showing themselves in order without any effort or even invitation. They had their individual qualities as much as I have explained above, though they move fairly quickly from one to the other, and about forty-five minutes later fruition occurred. Soon thereafter it was obvious that the cycle had started again. Do you cycle naturally through the cycles of insight from stage four to stage eleven and then attain fruition? If you just sat down on a cushion and did nothing special, would you move through these stages as easily as falling down a hill? Do fruitions arise after such cycles in a way that fairly consistently leaves you with the staggering impression that was it? If not, I would avoid harboring any notions that you are enlightened, have been enlightened sometime in the past, etc., as you are almost certainly in error. Such notions are not helpful most of the time anyway, and tend to be bound up in a sense of solidity and imagined continuity of self that is simply unrealistic. I have a friend who erroneously thinks he is enlightened, and once said, Oh yes, I went through those stages once many years ago, but now I am beyond them. Toast. Those who are enlightened go through these stages hundreds, if not thousands, of times each year. There is absolutely no getting around them, barring deep sleep, severe brain damage, strong sedation, or death. However, it is fair to mention that some enlightened people simply don't think about things in this way, have never noticed that they cycled, never picked up on the patterns, were never exposed to the maps, don't have particularly strong concentration, don't realize how they got there, are not particularly intellectual or, if they are, never apply their intellect to these aspects of where theory meets practice never really paid attention to the way things unfold, and couldn't care less. Thus, if someone is enlightened, I brazenly assert they cycle like this, but that doesn't mean they realize they do, and if their practice unfolded gently or slowly, or without very intense concentration and a map-oriented focus, they may have no idea about most of the things I am discussing here, and yet they apply to them anyway. I poured massive amounts of energy into my practice, developed very strong concentration, and care about the maps obsessively, but that doesn't mean that other beings who are enlightened did or do. Back to describing the cycles. As review sets in, it can seem that one can control these cycles and stages. It may seem, after we have mastered a path somewhat, that we can call insight stages up in order and stay with them as long as we wish or even call them up out of order. From one point of view, enlightened beings can master and manipulate the stages of insight, though such practices can take on much more of a Samitha feel than an insight feel. From another point of view, perhaps a more thoroughly insight-oriented point of view, 
even such a notion is erroneous. Stages, cycles, and the empty intentions to manipulate them occur in a casual fashion, and if there is a sense that there is an independent self that is controlling them, then there is obviously more work to do. Now there's a high standard and worthy standard indeed. These cycles, as with everything else, simply belong to the nature of things. Beyond the first path, what's next? Obviously, it can be easy for a meditator to think that they have completed a progress of insight and gotten stream entry when in fact they haven't. It is also possible for a meditator to have actually completed a progress of insight and yet think otherwise, but this is much less common. Sometimes a practitioner will be correct in thinking that they have, but their teachers will remain unconvinced. Sometimes a teacher may think that the student has and yet be wrong. Regardless, just keep practicing and see what happens. This is the most fundamental principle of all these stages. A particularly useful traditional guideline is to wait a year and a day before completely making up your mind. This is slippery stuff sometimes, and many states and stages can easily fool a student or teacher into thinking that they are something they are not. When a meditator successfully completes a progress of insight, they have permanently debunked certain illusions to some degree, but many remain. These tend to include a new fascination with the understanding that has arisen from that path. However, if one's realization doesn't stand to the test of time, or if there is not some sort of fundamental and unalterable reduction in suffering, write it off and keep going. Even if one does complete a progress of insight, it is easy to imagine that more has been debunked than actually has. So continue to practice training in morality throughout your life as before to avoid being bitten by those unskillful potentials that remain but are hidden. Strangely, the temptations to screw up can become more subtle and seductive as practice deepens. These tend to be at their worst around the next arising and passing away, or during the next reobservation, An extended series of progresses of insight tend to proceed as follows. They may be called paths in the Theravada and Bahumis in the Tibetan, though there are some problems that arise in trying to resolve the inconsistencies in these two models that will be touched on a bit later. Thus, a more general treatment follows, and the description of the stages here are not taken directly from any particular tradition. From one point of view, all of this is not necessary information, as continued practice just as before will continue to move things along quite naturally. On the other hand, if one has expectations about what might come next that are not in accord with reality or interfere with practice, then this information might be helpful. The meditation masters of this stage of awakening by continued practice as before they can quickly learn to rise through all of the stages, starting from the rising and passing away, through the dark night, up to equanimity and fruition in a single setting, or even during some of the activities of daily life. Merely sitting down on a cushion, or being awake for that matter, will involve naturally moving through these cycles, though the speed and clarity of these can vary widely depending on the practitioner and circumstances. They may even find it interesting to purposefully hang out in some of the stages of the dark night just to learn more about them and from them, as they have some very important lessons to teach and are very interesting territory. 
However, they may also come to realize that this is really just a new beginning in some ways, sort of like graduating from high school, but then becoming a lowly freshman in college. The period after completing a progress of insight and after gaining some strong sense of mastery of its stages is also a great time to work on one's concentration practice abilities. The reason for waiting is that concentration practices and insight practices tend to have a certain inertia to them. If you have recently been trying to get into really stable samithostates, this can make it harder to see things flicker for a while. If you have recently been training hard to see things flicker, it can be hard to get into really stable samithajanas. Thus, what you don't want to do is to gunk up the natural mastery phase of your practice until you are comfortable enough in these stages to get stuck in one and not have it be a big deal. This usually takes at least a few weeks, but this is a very crude guideline and everyone is different regarding issues of timing. Judge for yourself how well you handle the stages such as reobservation, and decide if you would be all right if you got stuck in it for a few hours. The time after gaining some mastery of these stages is also a great time to work on one's stuff. Actually doing concentration practices and working on one's stuff go very well together, as concentration states tend to cause our stuff to come bubbling to the surface where we can work with it. The time during a mastery phase is also a great time to make sure that one's daily life is functioning well, particularly if one made a mess of it while trying to get enlightened or more enlightened. Mastery of these stages tends to peak at some point, and the sense can arise that one has really got it. Fruitions tend to occur fairly quickly, clearly, and easily. Given time and practice, the meditator may begin to become somewhat bored with our current level of attainment and with their ability to attain these stages and fruition. Their practice can begin to seem sloppy, and the quiet bliss wave after fruition can diminish somewhat unless they do not attain it for some long period of time, which would probably require resolutions to that effect. The understanding that there is more suffering to uproot grows. They begin to see more levels of reality that are clearly not well understood or illuminated by their current understanding, hence of which probably showed themselves very soon after their attainment of that path. Subtle thoughts and mental patterns may be noticed at the edge of one's perceptual threshold. Attention begins to incline towards the next level of reality that must be understood and away from familiar territory. More fresh insights begin to show up. The meditator begins to investigate reality with more effort and clarity as before and begin a new progress of insight from the beginning, something like access concentration and then mind and body and the rest. This might play out as follows. Fairly soon after the sense of strong mastery, one will simply be meditating along, perhaps a fruition will occur, and then suddenly the mind drops into this new state rather than a new review cycle beginning again. It is stable, interesting, and somewhat Jahana-like. It is sort of like re-inhabiting one's life or reconnecting with the sense of the observer. It is also likely the next mind and body. This could also happen when one was just going about one's day. The postural obsession, odd movements, strange tensions and pains, emotional volatility, 
vibratory stuff that seems new, a fresh and clearer sense of what is dualistic perspectives remain, and all of the other early progress of insight stuff may arise in its time naturally, and perhaps sooner than one might wish. The phrase, leading onward, is often used to describe the wisdom that arises from Dharma practice. Strangely, it is a phrase and a fact that I have cursed just as often as blessed, and entering new insight territory at inopportune time or before one feels ready can reveal why. Insight cycles can sometimes be very traumatic, and it is often advisable to take a break to recover one's sense of humor and appreciation of life before plunging on. However, at this point, the Dharma waits for no one and may plunge on regardless of your wishes. Note well, those of you between stages, there initially is still the ability to attain easily in any of the previous stages starting at the level of the current arising and passing away, so things can get quite murky if you are trying to figure out what stage you are in or attain specific new stages. It can be as if the early stages of the new progress of insight, one through three, are opening up to us, whereas for a while things always started out at the level of the arising and passing away. Fixating on thoughts about what stage you are in is guaranteed to cause some degree of suffering that is worthy of investigation, especially in the in-between stages, though a gentle awareness of the maps can still be slightly useful. There can be a sort of a fork in the path for a while, with the meditator seemingly able to choose whether to review previous stages or press on. It can seem as though the background is solidifying and the mind is growing noisier as well as less predictable and skillful. More of our stuff is suddenly bubbling up to the surface. We notice subtler thoughts and mental images, many of which we may wish we hadn't. We may feel less enlightened, as if our realization were fading. Clear and consistent insight practice, such as understanding the three characteristics of all types of sensations, which includes thoughts of maps and goals, is the only thing that finally helps, just as before. After the meditator crosses the next arising and passing away event, which may happen relatively quickly if they practice well and often, they will tend to have a very hard time reattaining fruition for a while. One may meditate along and then get stuck in a stage that seems to lead nowhere and is sort of like low equanimity, in that there are clear vibrations that are not varying with the breath or any other movement, and yet the background is too dense, noisy, and poorly perceived for clear and complete formations to show themselves. Finding the proverbial fork in the road to familiar territory can now be quite tricky, and even if they do find the way back, the old territory is unlikely to be particularly appealing. Old fruitions may arise, but they may do so in a way that is less reliable or certain. Suddenly, the meditator is on the right again and will soon have to face the fullness of the next dark night with all of its implications. It may even be more challenging than before, but could just as easily be less so. A friend of mine sailed through one dark night in about six minutes, and the next one took him many years. There's no predicting these issues of timing. It can happen that many times they will try to meditate to equanimity but fall back when they get to re-observation. They may thus try to reattain previous stages as they may feel in over their heads. They may get on to the next stage of desire for deliverance, 
wish very strongly to go beyond all of this and do so by reattaining to a fruition of the current path instead of attaining the next one however even if they are able to retreat to the old territory they will still be haunted to some degree by the dark night in their life and will have to learn to navigate skillfully in this territory one way or another sometimes remastering the current path is helpful for building a sufficient foundation from which to proceed well into the new territory eventually there is no way to go back and one is simply left facing the new territory without an obvious skillful escape route there can arise an odd phenomena that has been referred to by one of my teachers as twelfth path though this phrase is not in common usage it is, however, a common phenomenon in those who have attained at least stream entry and is probably the most important concept in this book for those working on the higher paths, particularly beyond the second path. Twelfth path is making a joke about the fact that there are at most four stages of enlightenment in the Theravada map and five or ten in the Tibetan maps. However, it can easily be seen that more than ten brand new and full-blown cycles of insight have been completed, and yet there is still much more to go. If one is going to get obsessed with the fractal model that I mentioned earlier, it is likely to happen around here. Unfortunately, the fractal model is even more useless now than it was earlier, and so I strongly recommend avoiding it like the plague if you think you are in a new progress cycle rather than a review cycle things might proceed as follows it seems certain that a cycle has been completed next there seems to be a clear mastery stage that withstands all of the most rigorous tests then more early progress of insight stuff shows up the cycle begins to go around again perhaps with more backsliding moving forward falling back again remastering the old territory more progress and suffering shows up with its associated struggles and rationalizations. Then there comes a sense of there being no other option but progress and acceptance, and finally the sense that the cycle has completed itself. Soon enough there is a clear sense of a mastery stage, and so on. In this way it may seem that some large number of paths or behemoths have been attained, twelve in the joke, when in fact they have not. Or have they? Unfortunately, this is a tough question, and one that cannot easily be resolved. One may think that one is now at a higher stage of realization that is clearly different from before, but the magic numbers, four or ten, simply may not seem to apply to one's journey. It can also happen that, with increased clarity and progressive deepening of one's practice, distinct progress of insight patterns may seem to be repeating within each of the smaller units of the larger pattern of the progress of insight very much in the way of fractals as detailed earlier beware do not get sucked into identifying with these idealized states as actually being where you are new progress cycles and their accompanying vagueness can be very confusing if we are fixated on models but are not aware that the in-between territory is nearly impossible to map successfully in real time we may sometimes feel that we have just gone through the larger progress of insight cycle when we may have actually gone through only a small part of it we may begin to think we see first second third and fourth vipassana jhana aspects of each of the four larger vipassana jhanas 
we may even begin to see patterns similar to those of a full progress of insight within each of the stages of the larger progress of insight, or even within parts of each stage. A similar observation can arise in concentration practice with the Samitha Jahanas, but this tends not to be nearly as problematic or dramatic. I have come to the conclusion that fear, anxiety, confusion, indecision, and even certainty about these issues are clear markers of what needs to be investigated, such as those things themselves. In this way, these aspects of suffering have become trusted friends, clear signposts and red flags, as well as aspects of the goal, which is the path in the end. The more we realize that those very processes are it, those very sensations are it, the closer reality is to understanding itself. The closer reality is to understanding itself, the less fundamental suffering there is. I have also come to the conclusion that the best reason to take these detailed maps to this extreme is that eventually they become way too ridiculous and cumbersome. Thus eventually they can be laughed at and yet make their few useful points also, while leaving us with no option but to be with reality, one aspect of which is the sensations that make up thoughts about maps. We can learn to laugh at ourselves and our deep-seated but futile desire to simplify fresh patterns of sensations and solidify them into a sense of attainment that we have. On the darker side, when we are unable to do this, unable to laugh at our deluded attempts to fix or freeze a sense of what some illusory we has done or attained, the phenomena of the twelfth path and the complexity of the territory between paths can cause considerable doubt, pain, frustration, and cynicism, the flip side of which is grandiosity. The more afraid we are of not making progress, the worse these sorts of feelings can become. The more we compare our practice to the misunderstood sensations that make up the sense of others, the more needless suffering arises. These sensation patterns must be investigated clearly and seen as they really are, as always. When this all ends is a subject of considerable controversy, though like an idiot, I'm going to take on the topic of full enlightenment shortly. Anyway, it should be noted that a long-term view is very helpful sometimes, particularly if it helps one just be with what is happening today. It will often not be clear which event was actually the new arising and passing event or which event was really a new path until one has the benefit of a few more months or years of practice. One may experience many strange events, state shifts, insight and profound openings, all of which can be very compelling for some period of time. However, there tend to be just a few of these memories that, on careful reflection, stand out in the mind as being really significant and by which one can clearly mark permanent shifts in one's fundamental relationship to the experiences of life and the world. In the next chapter, I will lay out a number of models of awakening that involve various numbers of shifts in understanding. One may be tempted, as I foolishly have been, to count the landmark events in one's practice and try to correlate them with these models based purely on the number of them that seem to have occurred. This is a setup for trouble, so please learn from those who have learned the hard way and do not try it, as tempting as counting paths can be. 
A vastly superior form of inquiry and investigation is to examine carefully anything that seems to involve a sense of split, of a this and a that, particularly at the rate of one to ten times per second or even faster, if you can pull it off. What sensations seem to be the watcher and what sensations seem to be watched? Try to see the true nature of these sensations one by one as they occur. It must be said that after three or four of what seem like complete insight cycles or paths, it can take quite a while to get a clear sense of what subtle dualities remain. You may find yourself walking around for days to months thinking, Dang, I've really got it now. I'm just seeing it no matter what happens. Cool. I might have cracked the whole thing, dude. Give things time and be aware of assuming that you have attained to more than you have. It is a very common and embarrassing problem, but those who know this territory will understand. However, those who do not know this territory may not be so forgiving, so be aware of claiming a specific level of realization, particularly final realization, however you define it, until you have carefully checked things out for a very long time. I would advise thinking along the lines of, well, my working hypothesis is that it seems that I have achieved whatever, but I will keep an open mind and be cautious in what I say. Use the descriptions of realization that follow to give yourself a general sense of the territory and what tends to need work and investigation. Avoid wherever possible the traps mentioned above, but when you realize you have fallen into them, which is ever so human and common, then accept this, learn from it, and laugh. Should you realize that you have failed to heed this advice, that you have bought into some limited definition of yourself as a realized being of some defined rank or level, despite the warnings, you can try to deny it for a while, that's okay. You can imagine that you are very sure you know where you are, as that sort of artificial solidification of reality is common enough. You can get pissed off at yourself, that's normal. You can beat yourself up if you think it will help though it rarely does. You can get better, though such responses tend to wear out their welcome. You can pump yourself up, dwelling on your imagined or real successes, though this tends to ring hollow soon enough. You can try to pretend you don't care what stage or level you have achieved, though eventually this gives itself away. However, when you feel you are done with these things, accept, learn, and laugh. Repeat as necessary, and then get back to investigating those sensations.